This is a snapshot, a moment, a sneak inside the minds of our graduates. This is season three, back to the beginning or back to the future. This morning I'm in my wee cottage, uh, somewhere uh, amongst the fields of Stirling. Laura Westring, late 2000s modern European languages and EU studies graduate. It's a rather beautiful sunny day. I'm surrounded by daffodils and um, it's the kind of place that seems on the face of it incredibly idyllic. Occasionally I have to pinch myself that I've become a person in a cottage surrounded by daffodils because that's not something I ever could have visualised growing up. I think when you grow up there's always this vision you have of what your life might turn out like according to how your family's lives have turned out or how your society tells you life should turn out in a way and if you had asked me I guess 10 years ago that I'd end up in a cottage in Stirling surrounded by daffodils I genuinely wouldn't have known what to say (laughs) I couldn't have wouldn't have been able to fathom how I would have ended up here but this is my home now um, I share it um, with my husband and my beautiful son. I spent the majority of my career until recently in, in the capital of Europe. I was an accidental civil servant, one of those archetypal graduates of 2009, graduated straight into the aftermath of the Great Recession. And it was at my graduation ceremony at McEwen Hall, a fellow student who was far smarter than I was suggested that in the event that I wouldn't be able to find work in Scotland with a humanities degree, he suggested that I might be interested in seeking out an internship in Brussels. And I did. I did exactly that. And without having a plan, ended up in Europe because that's where the work was. Was at the time was this incredibly energetic, charged place. I imagine it still is full of international young people who arrive there because I guess they're talented, they speak many languages, but also the thing that they tend to share in their hearts is this idea that they want to work for something greater, a project that brings peace and prosperity. And it was all very romantic in the beginning. I decided, well, I might go take a secretarial exam just to find out how this all works so that I might one day prepare myself. And I accidentally passed and I kept passing each part of the secretarial secretarial course and ended up at the European Parliament for a few years. Um, It's the kind of work I'd describe as incredibly high pressure and incredibly dull. But I was there for the lifestyle. I was there to embrace uh, this community of young people that was willing to work together to be advocates for things like the rights of young women before hashtag me too or the rights of interns to be paid a living wage. Through a series of convoluted events I ended up for a very brief period of time Uh, moving from the European Parliament to the European Commission 
and eventually becoming um, their youngest political speechwriter. And um, spent two years in that role before I ultimately made the decision to come home. I realised that if you can pay rent and buy bread, you can live anywhere in the world. And so I was able to find community in Brussels. And I don't know if I ever would have described Brussels as home, but I would have described myself for a time among a certain community as a local. And um, when you realise that you can become local anywhere in the world, that is extremely empowering. So I think if whenever you're in the position, whether you are local or whether you are, are at home, I think you have to look to see how can I leave this place um, in better shape than I found it? Can I, you know, leave footprints here that I'll be proud of when I look back? Um, there was a network of young women that I created together with my peers that was a project that ran for eight years very successfully. And I was very proud of the fact, <laughs> this is kind of a bit of an aside, but I was very proud of the fact that um, for International Women's Day in Brussels, I was invited to take part in a special edition of Elle magazine. And I believe, or so they told me at the time, that I was the first expat, expat, you know, ever to be featured in Elle, Elle Belgique magazine. And I, I see that as kind of testimony to the attitude where I um, came to Brussels without a plan, but the plan is always to leave those footprints that are, um, whenever possible, of service to others. I don't think you have to be at home to do that. I wouldn't change anything, a single moment of my time in Brussels. Towards the end, um, I had a lot of guilt, actually, that despite all this privilege, despite having become a speechwriter for the European Commission, a role that most people, you know, would chew off a finger for, I was actually deeply unhappy. I didn't feel I had the right to be unhappy, having gone from being a, an intern to a speechwriter in, in six years. But, um, to an extent, a lot of the decision was made for me. The year I left was 2016. In March, I was in Berlin with my sister. I had been desperate to show Berlin, one of my favourite cities, to my, to my younger sister. Um, but I had left the hotel very early to go pick up cash for my sister because we were due to fly home, she to Edinburgh and, and me to Brussels. I came back through the um, revolving doors of the hotel lobby and across the screens, and there were about five of them, was this surreal scene. Everyone was going about their business, just as they would do in a hotel lobby in the bus business district in Berlin. But uh, the news was, was showing on these TV screens and there was just two words underneath some quite shocking pictures, Brussels bombing. And it was then I realised that there was nowhere to fly to. Zaventem Airport had been hit and my local metro station 
which my husband would have walked past every day um, to go to work, had been hit as well. And um, everything had changed overnight. And Brussels had been prepared for this since the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Over the years that I was there, there was a great change. Um, we went from being the seat of the largest political peace project in the world to a place where it was normal to see military vehicles outside of democratic institutions. And actually have um, this photograph outside a pub, Kitty O'Shea's, it's um, just across from the European Commission. It was my last day and people gathered there to wish me well. And um, it was a very kind and accommodating a member of the Belgian military who took the photo for us and you can actually see his rifle <laughs> peeking into shot. And I remember thinking that's really quite an incredible metaphor for one of the reasons I chose to come home. And it became one of those years in human history, in the Western world anyway, that just got more and more bizarre. I realised that for the European Union anyway, where I was, it was a period of disintegration. Um, it wouldn't last forever, but my ability to be useful and to engage in meaningful work as a Brit, especially someone who did no longer had a mandate, I felt, to be writing speeches for European citizens in that way, I decided I'll come home uh, to take part in a process of integration, of construction of what's coming next. And I ended up coming home to Edinburgh for several reasons, because I was very, very keen to change careers and embrace the incredible business for good movement that was emerging here. And I wanted to be part of that economic transformation, part of that construction of something new, but much more instinctive and much simpler than all that, um, I really wanted to have a child. And it felt like the most natural thing in the world um, to seek out family and familiarity. And the fact that I've always believed that Scotland's a particularly beautiful place to live and to grow up. For all those reasons, we came back from being local um, to coming home. We also ask our guests to tell us about a place, somewhere local, somewhere that kind of captures something important, something worth sharing. You know, having um, spent a great deal of my life in Edinburgh, you know, I'm often asked, Edinburgh is a city people want to visit, they want to come to. And as a result, if you're local, you're, you're often asked, where should we go? And I often get bit of um, you know the eyebrows raised <laughs> when I answer that question so my answer has always been the first place you should go in Edinburgh is Greyfriars Kirkyard not only does it have one of the most incredible hidden views of Edinburgh skyline but um, there are some remarkable graves where you find all the light and the darkness of local history. You find the leading lights of the Enlightenment. 
you find the merchants who made their money and built incredible Georgian architecture on the backs of um, Scotland's role in colonialism and slavery. You find a lesson in human history. We're always on this path of advancement. It's three steps forward, one step back. But as, you know, as a human civilization, we're always advancing. And I find Greyfriars Kirkyard a particularly beautiful and particularly profound place to spend half an hour meeting with the souls of all those who came previous. And it, I think, always reminds me that if it, until we realise that it's only through our unity that our peace and prosperity will be established, our security also, we will only, as a human family, make our lives more difficult. Um, so I find, and always have found, that Greyfriars Kirkyard is a place where the past, the present, the future, this life, the next life, they all come together. And it's a place for me of contemplation and of sanctuary and of all the things that mean home to me. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another graduate and another story.